Well, speaking of nihilistic and funny, I think the next song is mm. probably it's okay. It's like an all timer. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is it. This is my favorite Jews song. This is maybe one of my favorite songs. Favorite song, just ever. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a perfect perfect song. Suffering jukebox. Um, you know th- this song. I I was really kind of scouring and looking through and feeling out this record when I was listening to it in preparation for the episode and sort of thinking about how there's often. I think the first song sets up this um, that there may be covertly moments that actually are a bit deeper than they seem all over this record, and I think this is one of them. Uh, this is the most personal song on the record. I think this is a this is a song about David Berman. Like yeah, no it, question in my entire uh, it, fucking it seems that mind. It, he is the suffering jukebox. And your interview with him again, Vish, I think, is like testament to that. When he goes into this this concept of like not feeling comfortable on the road and not yeah. wanting to be part of this like financially motivated festival circuit, right? And and just like feeling apart and outside of this entire you know uh, functioning. A big money economy that the music business was turning into in 2008 and the lines in this fucking song speak directly to that mentioned Vish that he said something about I never make people happy um mm. and that is, is like bothering me because I you know I just feel like come on like don't you know that like the goal isn't always to make people happy like you can't really always make people happy like what you what he did and what he was able to do so well I feel like happy is kind of like a myth and that doesn't really exist like you can't just make people happy on command and I, I just, it seems like maybe on some level he didn't understand that that's just like not possible, but that what he offers is better. It's like better than being happy is having this um, deeper feeling for life. And I think the song kind of addresses that conflict. Um, huh. It feels like it, it's a song about how this jukebox, the suffering jukebox is full of you're full of what other people need it says um and well, it, and nobody ever wants to turn it up and really listen to it it's kind of just added as like background character and um i don't know it it seems like uh like in this song the jukebox is not being given like it it seems like discouraged it seems like being discouraged by people you bury your heart in a song and people talk over it and then you're like, well, there's, there's a few things going on. First of all, I should clarify for you and I don't mean to be a, an asshole, 
But the lyric, I believe, is you're all filled up with what other people mean. Mean, yeah. So oh. basically well, he's getting l- a- Let's blame Spotify for this. I believe <laughs> that this is a... So that's the actual lyric, which is more... Sig- you guys are changing my mind about this because I, I didn't have this reading of this song. But given what David and I talked about in 2008, I asked him how he liked uh, being in Nashville, whether he felt he fit in with the country music establishment. Right. And as you were speaking, Evan, I'm drawn to the end of the song. Suffering jukebox in a happy town. What do you yeah. got there? Sorry, you were flashing oh, something they, up They the fucked up the lyrics on Spotify. Spotify fucking sucks. Spotify yeah. stays losing. Two that's why down. I spilled my that's they, why I pulled pulled my podcast from that stupid thing. You, you know, anyway. I'm fine with Spotify, except now I'm anti because it just made a fool of me on my own show. No, I didn't mean it. I sorry, that's on me. I didn't mean to be a jerk. I just no, it's I like, should have done my due but, diligence. But that's a that. very significant lyric to me in terms of what I was gonna say. No, it's um, totally different so meaning. There's a few things I want to say. So suffering jukebox in a happy town, you're mm-hmm. over in the corner breaking down. They always seem to keep you way down low. The people in this town don't want to know. Mm-hmm. For those of you who plan to revisit the conversation that I had with David in 2008, he talks about this. He was writing letters to the press about country music and country music stars. And he couldn't figure out where he fit in, even though he's like the biggest country music fan ever. And he's ensconced himself in Nashville, but he can't figure out where he fits. So that's an interesting personification that I hadn't picked up on. The reason I wanted to stress uh, you're all filled up with what other people mean is I think David, with some prescience, was probably Mm. contemplating what it meant to be a musician in a disposable time. Exactly. This yeah. is the advent of streaming. Whether we remember this or not, like I, this is right around when I started working for a streaming radio station for the CBC, which is like a the big company up here, Canada Canada's broadcaster, and that's where people were starting to shift into streaming and MySpace and all these like 2007, 2008. I think it's fair to say people were starting to get more like the the Napster hangover was over, and it became more like how do we commodify this for real. Right. How do we actually make it so people stop thinking of their computers and eventually their telephones as only those things? Like let's let's actually turn everyone's appliances into music machines. What does David choose to to actually exemplify the shift? A jukebox. Yeah. Completely outmoded technology. Uh, outmoded technology, but also a beautiful Pure form of technology, exactly. I think, in his in his view. By the way, f- uh, fellas, I'm riffing here. I did not plan to go this route. You said some stuff there that I hadn't thought of in this song in terms <laughs> of David. I always, and this song and also a song I sing to my daughter uh, every night. I go up there with a guitar and I sing her some songs. And one, one of the ones I always sing to her that she loves is Strange Victory, Strange Defeat. Oh. There's a few, and we're going to get to that, I assume. But there's Certainly. a few moments on this record, and I think a suffering jukebox as well, as him making commentary and critical analysis of what it means to be a musician, what yeah, the material yeah. conditions are to be a musician. I, I never thought of this. Again, you've blown my mind because I never thought of him as the jukebox, but there's probably something to that. And I think it's him talking about his role in this. Well, exactly. The, the line that speaks to me here is, well, I guess all that mad misery must make it seem true to you, 
but money lights, money your, lights world your world up. up. You're, You're trapped. trapped. What can, what you, can do? you do? Exactly. He never says in this, and uh, part of part of I think what makes this so clearly about him to me is learning about his appreciation for old violin, the Johnny Paycheck song, which yeah, we've talked uh, about quite yeah. a bit due to Bob's um, uh, writing about it in the new book, and the appreciation that David showed for it in John Lingon's piece from The Ringer around this time as well. In that in that song. Uh, uh, Johnny Patrick literally says, like, he makes the metaphor clear, and I'm just like that old violin. Tonight I feel like an old violin Soon to be put away and never played again Right, like, very clearly, like, he says, I I am like that old violin. And, uh, and David never is never quite that direct and that forward with that in this song. He doesn't say, I'm like that suffering jukebox. But the, the parallels are just too clear for me. But putting those two songs uh, next to one another, these these outmoded, uh, ancient, but beautiful yeah. uh, sort of artifacts of this practice of music making over time and, and how they can uh, uh, represent uh, you know who you are in this changing and you know changing for the worse in many ways kind of world. Um, I, I, I think it's it's his it's his attempt to write his own old violin. That's a really astute point as well. Before we, uh, I, I forget though, Cassie. Oh, so Cassie oh. Berman her, is the her star vocals of this. on here. Are yeah. so great. They're so impassioned, and there's something like almost off key, but never actually about her vocals. And they, so it, it always just feels like, uh, I don't know, they just feel so alive, and they're actually like harmonize all on that level. They all feel just really um, raw and true, and um, some just some of the best backup singing. Well, the, but it's not backup. I will say, like on, I think on, I was listening to Tanglewood, and I, I think they were trying to figure out their dynamic, the call and response dynamic they were going to have as right. muses working yeah. together. A lot like of equal. times, a lot of times on this record, David steps aside, mm-hmm. Cassie goes forth. So to to substantiate your very astute theory that I feel dumb for not picking up on. Cassie's <laughs> the one singing Suffering Jukebox, Such a Sad Machine. You're all filled up with what You're such a sad need. machine. Yeah. Exactly. Talking to David, potentially. Like, what a brilliant... Sorry. First of all, you guys are smart. <laughs> Secondly, what a brilliant move on Please. their part. Like, what a brilliant way to, to create these roles in this discussion of who David might be. The town... I think it's also about Nashville. 
Uh, totally. Around, yeah. This, yeah. around this time, Tennessee I went to Nashville and Tennessee tendencies has like his cranes pension. on the downtown skyline. Nashville Absolutely. is like clearly established as one of the most, you know, kind of like uh, one of uh, the cities just, that has a skyline. If they're, it's there for sure. <laughs> oh, it's got Jesus. One. Is that a Nashville skyline reference? That's got, I mean, it's gotta be. There's no way it isn't. I think it is. <laughs> oh my God. Cranes. 